Well, I just want to thank the worship team for their job uh, this morning. Uh, you know, a lot of times uh, uh, when we have a, a missions team go somewhere, uh, the first thing I tell them in the first training session is uh, we have two words that we're going to focus on, uh, faithful and flexible, faithful and flexible. And I teach them that the whole time, faithful and flexible. Because, you know, honestly, when you're serving the Lord, you just come, you be faithful, you do whatever God has asked you to do, you just do it. And then sometimes when things go awry uh, and things change, you have to be flexible. And so it's not only faithfulness, but it's flexibility. And, and uh, the, the worship team uh, practiced this week with uh, Ryan uh, uh, singing and leading. And then this morning he got here and has a cold and has practically no voice. So we had to change it up at the last minute. And Joseph, who started playing with our worship team just a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, gladly and, and just, I'm going to start calling him Gumby because he's so flexible, just uh, helped out and uh, uh, led this morning. And the whole team just flexed and changed, and I just really appreciate that. Uh, they really have hearts uh, to lead you in worship, uh, hearts to serve you, and to just uh, give you an opportunity to connect with God. And so I appreciate them so much. I just want to tell you all that. Uh, you know, gentlemen, I want to encourage you uh, that are men in this uh, church, especially those of you who are husbands, uh, there are times to be funny, and there are times not to be funny. And, uh, uh, you know, part of wisdom is just knowing those things. I was uh, I reminded this week of a man named Bob who got in a lot of trouble because he forgot his wedding anniversary. And his wife was really, really angry. And she said to him, Bob, tomorrow morning I expect to find a gift in that driveway that goes from zero to 200 in six seconds, and it had better be there. So the next morning she got up early, and uh, she went out to the front door, uh, saw a box sitting in the driveway. So she thought, that's kind of unusual. So she went out, she picked up the box, brought it into the house, opened it up, and there it was, a bathroom scale. <laughs> now, nobody's seen Bob for several days, okay? So, so guys, just there are times to be funny, and there are times not to be funny. If you forget your wedding anniversary, it's not the time to be funny, okay? So don't forget that. Just a little a bit of advice. Hey, I want to talk to you today about something that's uh, very important. It's on my heart, but on uh, my heart and my mind, and, and, and Pastor Derek and Pastor Kindles also. You know, we, we schedule in our preaching schedule uh, what we call sometimes one-off sermons. Uh, they're just single weeks uh, in the schedule that we have no plan. And basically, we do that for a couple of reasons. One, we don't know. Sometimes I get a little long-winded, as you may know. And, and the, a series may go an extra week, so that gives us uh, uh, some flexibility there. Uh, we may want to start a series a week early. And then sometimes there's just something that God puts on our hearts that we feel like it's timely for the congregation to hear. And I feel like... Uh, uh, we feel like it's timely to talk about this spiritual battle that we're going to talk about. As you see on the screen there, it says talk about facing the spiritual battle. We're going to talk about that today, and I think there's a reason why we need to talk about that. One, uh, I think our church is uh, getting ready. Um, uh, as we kind of look back on this last year, a Fellowship of Grace uh, grew by over 50 adults uh, in 2015. Very exciting. Very exciting. Uh, part of the excitement is, of course, just growing, and, and, and some of those people are new believers, which is even more exciting. Uh, have come to know Christ as their Savior, been baptized, or becoming discipled. Uh, that's all happening, so we're, we're at some level fulfilling the Great Commission. That's very exciting. Uh, but I think another thing that's exciting just long term is this is the first year that we've grown at a rate where we could have planted a church and still grown. You know, if we had given up 25 or 30 members to go plant a church somewhere, we would have still grown. So this is the first year that we've kind of reached a critical mass, 
and uh, we're growing by more uh, people than we could plant a church and still continue to grow. That's very exciting because that is going to allow us to not only uh, add to the kingdom of God, but multiply the kingdom of God over the next few years. Well, you know, I don't know if you've seen, but they tore all the, the trees down over here on this property, getting ready to put a quick trip in on that corner. They're going to run the street, the, the driveway right through the front of our parking lot. And we'll have about another 1,000 cars by our church uh, every week, uh, starting probably in early summer, late spring. Uh, I, I just think we are uh, at, a, at a kind of a pinnacle where I think God's going to really grow us. And I'm excited about that. But let me just say to you that when God begins working, when we see God's hand pretty clearly in the lives of individuals and in the life of a body, in the life of a group, uh, man, that puts a big target on our backs. There is a spiritual battle going on that we're going to talk about this morning uh, that we need to pay attention to. And so let's get started. And I want to start by reading Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20. We're going to refer back to some specific verses in this as we talk later today. But uh, this is kind of known as the spiritual armor passage. And um, uh, some of you may have heard it before, but I'll, I'll just read it through this time and then we'll come back to it and kind of tear it apart a little bit. Okay, here's what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now there's a lot in that passage that we can talk about and we will. But let me start with this. I want you to understand that we are in a spiritual battle with an invisible enemy. We are in a spiritual battle with an invisible enemy. Now, if I had, to come, had you come in this morning and say, hey, uh, I've got a place there on your bulletin to, for you to list your enemies. Write down your enemies. Anybody that you would consider your enemy, write them down. You might write down a neighbor. You might write down a family member, a schoolmate, somebody that works with you. Who knows who uh, you might write down. In fact, you might even need extra paper. I don't know. Okay? But look what the Bible says about our enemies. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Folks, right here it says, listen, our enemies are not made of flesh and blood. Our enemies are not human beings. There is nobody on this planet that should be our enemy. I mean, no politician. Uh, no, no person of any kind should be, in a sense, our enemy. Because our, our fight is not with people. Our fight is not with flesh and blood. Our fight is in the spiritual world. 
It's in the spiritual realm. You know, the spiritual, there's a spiritual battle going on all around us. There's a couple of places in the Old Testament, uh, David and, and Elisha both got an opportunity for God to open their eyes to the spiritual world, the spiritual battle going on around them. And they were able to see what was happening in the spiritual world. Satan's forces and God's forces fighting, um, drawing lines in the sand, doing things. We're not able to see that. And, and it's sometimes I think we just forget about it. You know, listen, let's just be honest. As human beings, we, we really connect with things that we see and hear and touch and taste, smell. Things that we experience with our senses, we, we experience them pretty regularly. I mean, I mean, those things are real to us. And now you're saying that there's this battle going on in space that I can't see, I can't hear it, I can't... Really? Yeah, that's exactly right. Now, we have a tendency sometimes to be like that uh, two- or three-year-old child that puts a blanket over their head, and they're like, I'm invisible. You can't see me, right? If I don't see you, you don't see me. And they think they're invisible. Then you pull the blanket off, and it's like, wow, I, I appeared. We seem to be like that sometimes in, about the spiritual battle. We think if we just pull a blanket over our heads and we pretend like it doesn't exist, that it's not there. But, folks, it's there. It's there. You know, it's interesting Carbon monoxide will kill you, but, but we don't see it. We can't smell it. In fact, on, on New Year's Eve, I was with some people playing a game, and we were talking about things that you, we were playing this game, and it said things that you smell, or things that smell bad, or I don't know exactly what it was. And somebody said, uh, a gas. I said, you know, which gas are you talking about? And they said, okay, yeah, you know, gas in your home. And I said, okay, time out. It doesn't smell. You know, they add a smell to that so that you can detect it. The actual gas has no smell at all. And the reason they add that is because if you have a gas leak in your home, you want to know it. If they didn't add that smell to the gas, you'd just die. Folks, we can pretend like this spiritual battle doesn't go on around us, but it does. It's all around us. God says this war is happening all the time around us. So we better pay attention to it. We better not act as though it's not there because it may indeed kill us. I also want you to see in these passages that Satan is a formidable foe. What it says in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When it says be sober-minded, it's talking about, hey, be focused, uh, you know, pay attention. Look at this thing. Don't, don't get sidetracked. Don't let something else get your attention. Pay attention. Your adversary, the devil, not your neighbor, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Now, what does that mean to devour? In the spiritual realm, that doesn't mean he's going to come and, you know, bite our heads off or anything, okay? What it means is he's coming to destroy what is he coming to destroy? He wants to destroy our relationships, wants to destroy our family, wants to destroy our church, our reputation, our influence, anything that God can use for his benefit, Satan wants to destroy it. That's what he's about. We're going to see here in a minute that for people who haven't given their lives to Christ yet, for those who haven't stepped across the line of faith and trusted Christ as their Savior, 
Satan wants them to remain as far from God as possible. But folks, for us who are already Christians, what he wants to do to us is make us of no issue. He wants to say, hey, I'm going to destroy their lives so much that nobody will listen to them. They won't have any influence on anybody. They won't have any connection to anybody. I'm going to isolate them. I want to destroy their lives to the place that they're just not an issue anymore. I can just ignore them from now on because they're of no consequence. We better pay attention to that. In fact, I would even say, folks, in some ways, if you go through a long period of time in life where everything is hunky-dory, I mean everything is just really great, you might want to think about how effective you're being as a Christian. Because if the target gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller on your back, and Satan's kind of going, ah, don't bother him. Don't worry about him. He's no big deal. Just, don't, just forget it. You might want to think, I wonder if I'm really being very uh, effective for the kingdom of God. Because what I've found is, the more effective I am, the bigger that target gets. The more God uses me, the more I allow God to use me, and I become effective for the kingdom, the bigger that target gets, and the more he comes after me. Now listen, I don't want to uh, uh, give you the idea that uh, you know, Satan's as big as God, or that kind of thing. He's not at all. He's not omnipresent, but he's got a lot of help. Okay? And, and, and the evil forces, the forces of darkness, are after people who are doing exactly what our church is doing. People that are leading people to Christ, the target gets bigger. People that are getting baptized and getting connected to a local body of Christ, the target gets bigger. People being discipled and growing in their faith, the target gets bigger. People who are positioned to grow and have more and more influence, the target gets bigger and bigger. Now, I want to make sure that you understand uh, what I'm saying here. Uh, I am not... Uh, I think there's a balanced view. I'm not one of those people that every time I drive through a construction site and run over a nail and I get a flat tire, all of a sudden, whoa, look what Satan did to me. Okay, uh, let's not get goofy about this, okay? Uh, but let's not swing the pendulum to the other side and just ignore the fact that there is a spiritual battle going on all around us. And we are participants in it, whether we like it or not. Look what we see here in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. It says, in their case, the God of this world, notice little g, not big g, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. <clears throat> you know, sometimes uh, I've shared the gospel with people, and they're like, yeah, that seems reasonable. That makes sense. I see that. That looks pretty right. Awesome. So would you like to give your life to Jesus? No, not really. Uh, well, but I just explained it to you. You just understood it. How could you say no to that? Well, here's why, folks. I, we are just messengers, okay? I am, uh, for whatever reason, God has given me, I think, the spiritual gift of evangelism where I very easily talk to people about Jesus. I am usually a, a person who shares the gospel and, and can somehow be used by God to get people to make a decision. I think my personality lends to that too. I get all of that, okay? But at the end of the day, I can't change a person's heart. Only God can do that. I'm just a messenger boy. That's it. 
I, I mean, honestly, I am little more uh, uh, than, a, than a, a, a postal worker coming and delivering the mail to somebody. That's it. God's the one that does that. So he has to open their eyes. He has to open their hearts. So I want to encourage you. From now on, uh, I found this rule to be very good in my own life. For people who are far from God, who haven't received Christ as their Savior yet, don't have a discussion with them, either in person or on Facebook, about predestination. Don't have a discussion with them about how the world began. Don't have a discussion with them uh, about homosexuality. Don't have a discussion with them about 50 other topics because their eyes are blind. Their hearts are blind. They can't understand or see the truth because Christ hasn't opened their mind to it yet. God hasn't opened their heart to it yet for whatever reason. Every one of the conversations I have with people that I know haven't received Christ as their Savior is about the gospel. They want to talk about something else, and I say, well, yeah, that's a good point, but let me, let me ask you this first. What do you believe about Jesus? Because I want to, I, that's the only discussion that, that could possibly open their mind or their heart. If I can convince them how God made the world, how's that going to change their life? It's not. And I can't convince them anyway. So I, wanna, I want you to focus on that, okay? But we see here uh, how Satan is in the business of keeping unbelievers from seeing the grace of God and experiencing it. Look what it says in Colossians 2. This is another one of his strategies, but not for lost people, for believers. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so he's talking to believers, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Here's what Paul's saying there. Folks, listen, one of Satan's greatest strategies for Christians is for us to depend on our own thinking, for us to try and figure things out on our own. What Paul's saying is, look, folks, God's told us what we need to know about things. Don't, don't get sucked into some philosophy of man even after becoming a believer, don't get led astray by some philosophy of man. Be rooted in this Bible, in the truth of God. Have this be the foundation of your life. Build your life on top of it. I always want to, uh, uh, you know, do this uh, kind of a word picture where I, I lay the Bible down and I stand up on it. But people get really freaked out about that, so I'm not going to do it, okay? Uh, but listen, we should have that thought that we both stand on the Bible and we hold it over our heads. We are under it. I'm placing myself under its authority. It is the truth. And everything that I come up with in my own head outside of this is bogus. And many of those philosophies will lead us astray. So even as Christians, we've got to watch out. The battle is going on around us. And while Satan can't take our eternal lives... He can certainly mess up our lives to the place that we become totally and completely ineffective. So Satan is a formidable foe, but we also need to prepare for the battle. We need to prepare for the battle. Look at 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we're still human, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. 
Now, we don't have a lot of time to talk through this, the meaning of this. But what he's saying is, uh, listen, God has not given us earthly weapons, okay? If you're a member of the NRA, that's fine, okay? We're fine with that, okay? But, but God hasn't given us those kind of weapons, okay? God has given us spiritual weapons that are much, much, much more lethal. In fact, they have the power to destroy strongholds. What are strongholds? Strongholds are areas of people's lives that they have basically turned over to Satan. We'll talk about what that looks like here in a minute. But parts of our lives where we have basically turned over to Satan by being disobedient on a consistent basis and basically said, I'm turning my life, in a sense, over to Satan for this little bit. You know, we have a tendency to see our, our lives as this big house. And as long as I keep the living room really Jesus-y, I can, I can put stuff in the back bedroom that nobody knows about that are really pretty bad, and it's okay. It's just, it's just the back bedroom. If anybody comes in, I'll just close the door. Nobody will even see it. Right? Look, we all think that way sometimes. But folks, what... what what God is saying here is, listen, I've given you the power to destroy strongholds, not just to defend yourself against them, but to come against them. Not just to, to keep Satan from taking ground in our lives, but to take ground back, to take it from him. And then, of course, that passage in Ephesians 6. I want to read it again to you. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Take it up. Every morning, get up out of bed and say, okay, God... I'm, I'm going to shower, I'm going to put my clothes on, then I'm going to put my armor on. Okay? And here's what it is. That you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, doing right. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. By the way, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about that. What's the opposite of faith? It's not disbelief. It's worry. It's worry. The shield of faith will take care of our worries. Listen, when we are, are getting worried about a bunch of stuff that we can't control, we are giving that back bedroom to Satan, really. Because God's given us a shield of faith. And look what it does. The shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming darts of the evil one. Oh, God, how am I going to pay for my groceries next week? Wait, I'll trust you. I'll have faith in you. Bink! Dart hits the shield and falls on the ground. I mean, that's kind of the picture that God's trying to give us here. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which, by the way, is the only offensive weapon you see here. Everything else is defensive. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end keep alert with all perseverance making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which i am an ambassador in chains that i may declare it boldly as i ought to speak he says listen uh, Right here in, the, in this bottom of this part, it says, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Now, you probably, anybody who knows me probably knows that I was not cut out for the military. <laughs> right? 
Uh, probably was a good choice for me not to go into the military. By the way, I appreciate all of you who've done that. I, I can't imagine what it's like to be in battle. But listen, if you're in the middle of a battle, you don't go, you know, I've been up for about 18 hours now. I think I'm going to get some shut-eye. I'll see you guys in the morning. You don't do that. You do that when you're on vacation, right? When you're in the middle of a battle, you, you even sleep with one eye open, and you stay up as long as you can because you've got to protect yourself. The picture that God's trying to give us here, folks, is that lion is roaming about trying to devour us, and he's right over there behind the tree, and he's right over there behind the bush, and he's right over there in the darkness. He's just waiting for us to get close enough that he can jump out and tear us limb from limb. So we need to prepare for battle. We need to prepare for that. Take up the whole armor of God. Also, we can be victorious in the battles. How do we do that? Look what it says in James 4, 7. It says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. This is simple math. Okay? I love the way that God explains things because he doesn't use algebraic formulas. Pretty simple addition. He's saying, look, one plus one equals two. Submit to God. Resist the devil equals him running away from you. Folks, remember, Christianity is a replacement lifestyle. And I want to encourage those of you who have teenagers. Listen, you cannot just tell them, don't do this, 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 without saying, do this, do this, do this, do this. Because when, what happens is, when we ask them to stop doing all these bad things or don't do all these bad things, and we don't fill that vacuum with anything, he's right over there behind the tree, and he's waiting to get an opportunity to tell them how to fill that void in their lives. So this passage is saying, look, folks, if you, wanna, if you want the devil to just run away from you, it's two simple things. Submit your life to God. Say, God, I'm going to do what you say. I'm going to trust that when you and I disagree, you're, you're smarter than me. You're better than me. You're more righteous than me. I'm going to agree with you instead of me. I'm going to submit to you. And then over here, I'm going I'm to resist the devil. I, I'm going I'm to try my hardest to just push away from him. Because you see, you're replacing something. We resist Satan. We take and we fill that void with doing the right things for God. And Satan runs away from us. Also, just, I, I, mean, I could do probably 10 weeks on this. I'm not going to. Okay? But look what it says in 2 Corinthians. When we talk about these strongholds in our lives, I want to show you here in 2 Corinthians a couple of things that well, I think will make sense to you. It says, For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his designs. What Paul's saying here is, look, guys, uh, we, need to know, we, we need to know what Satan's up to. Okay? Let's not be ignorant of what he's doing. And in this passage, he specifically says there's two things. Listen, we need to be obedient and we need to forgive others. He says, in fact, anybody you forgive, I'm going to forgive too. 
because I don't want it to be a problem for you. Not forgiving. It's an interesting thing about forgiveness. If somebody really hurts my feelings, if somebody really does something mean and ugly to me, and I decide, you know what, that's the second time they've done that to me, I'm just not going to forgive them anymore. I'm done with that. That night, they sleep great. (laughs) And I am eaten up by that unforgiveness. Folks, it's in our best interest to forgive. Oh, yes, we forgive them. We take it off their shoulders. But honestly, it's it's a very small burden on their shoulders. It's a big burden on our shoulders if we don't forgive. And what he's saying in this passage is, listen, guys, be obedient and be forgiving. Those are two areas where we can take these strongholds out of our lives. We've got to be smart, see what Satan's up to. We can be victorious in these battles. Now, those battles take place day to day. Every single day we get up, we try to put on the armor of God and have that picture of ourselves, and we say, okay, God, today I'm, I'm putting on the breastplate of righteousness. I'm, I'm putting on uh, the helmet of salvation. I'm taking up the sword of the Spirit. I'm ready to face the day. And we walk into the day, and sometimes uh, we win those battles, sometimes we lose those battles, but the next day we get up and do it again. Those battles are going on constantly, but I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. The war has been won. And we are victorious in Christ. I mean, that, that is huge, folks. Huge. I might lose a little battle this afternoon or tonight, but at the end, at the end, the war has already been won. Look what it says in Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now that's an interesting passage right there. By the way, uh, when it talks there about he disarmed the rulers and the authorities, uh, those are not earthly rulers and authorities. Okay? What he's talking about there is those, those powers of darkness, the rulers and authorities in dark places. He's talking about the spiritual rulers and authorities. And he said that Jesus put them to an open shame. Here's what he's saying. Listen, at the cross, Jesus both embarrassed and humiliated Satan and the powers of darkness. He embarrassed them. He humiliated them. How did he do that? Well, think about it for a minute. If you can kind of, I mean, we have a tendency to, we're, we're, we're way past, we know the end of the story, we know all the parts of it, so we kind of don't put ourselves in the midst of it sometimes. So think about it as it's happening, okay? Satan and the demonic forces are like, man, we got Jesus on the cross. We got God's son on the cross and he is bleeding bad. Man, he took a beating, whoa, he took a beating. He is on the cross and he, he's about done for, man. Man, I'm watching, watch around, see if there's going to be a bunch of angels coming and grab him off the cross. No, it looks good, man. We are in the clear. Jesus is going to die. This is going to be awesome. <laughs> and then he dies, and they go, yeah, we want it. Oh, wait a minute. What? He, he just paid for the sins of the world? Well, that wasn't how it was supposed to work. They, they thought they were winning. They thought they were about to win it all. The Savior of the world, God's Son, is dead. 
And then somehow in that moment, they came to a realization that what Jesus just did was not get his life taken from him, but gladly and lovingly lay it down for the sins of the world. And it was embarrassing and humiliating to them, and he won it all right there. And then to make matters worse, three days later, he rose from the dead and piled on to him, which I think was awesome. <laughs> they thought they were destroying him. But no, he was the one winning. Even in his death, he was winning. Look what it says in 1 John 4, 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, I don't want to get into a great theological debate here. There are some uh, Christians that believe that we can reach perfection uh, on this planet because the Spirit is in us. That can be a theological discussion. But the reality of life is, folks, we still live in our human and sinful bodies, and we will at some level continue to commit sin. But it doesn't mean we should just be okay with it. Doesn't mean we shouldn't rely on the Spirit of God to help us become more like Jesus. Doesn't mean that we shouldn't, in every circumstance, at every turn, in every place, at every moment, try and be controlled by His Spirit so that we live godly lives. He's given us the power, in essence, to do that. Look what it says in 1 John 5, verses 4 and 5. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Folks, if you're here today struggling or uh, dealing with anything in life that you say, man, I just can't deal with this anymore. I just can't deal with this anymore. How am I going to get through this? There's only one way through it. There's only one way to get through, really, and overcome the world and all of its issues and problems. And that's by putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's the only chance we have. That's the only hope we have. Listen, I'm going to go day by day struggling and striving to fight the battles of life, to do the right thing, sometimes winning, sometimes failing. But every moment knowing that in the end, when I breathe my last, whether it's today or next week or a year from now or, or 30 years from now, I win. I win. Not because of me, but because I've given my life to Jesus. And he has already won the victory over death, hell, and the grave. It's already decided, folks. I just don't understand why anybody would know ahead of time, and I'm a big, I'm a big fan of the Back to the Future films, and you know, uh, 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 they get that uh, magazine, that uh, uh, magazine with all the, the sports results in it, you know, and uh, you know, if you had a book that had all the results of every sporting event for the next 50 years, you'd be a millionaire, right? But listen, I've got a book that tells me who wins everything. Why in the world would I not read it and give my life to the one who wins? I already know. It's already been done. So folks, as we move forward, 
as God gives opportunities, as God gives us opportunities to be more effective, to have more influence on people, to have a greater sphere of influence. Listen, every lost person that comes to our church uh, uh, who receives Christ as their Savior, who gets baptized and starts growing in Christ, they have a sphere of influence that probably none of us know. So every person that comes, we get a greater influence. Okay, yesterday I met with a couple to talk about their premarital counseling. And in talking with them, got an opportunity to share the gospel with the young man and uh, right in this room, right upstairs, he prayed to receive Christ as his Savior. Yeah, that's exciting. Okay, so now he's got a whole group of friends that we don't know that we might have the opportunity now to influence. But listen, as God blesses us and gives us more opportunities to reach more people for Christ, to have more influence in Parkville and the community around here, and we uh, pick up steam and we grow in, in numbers and we grow in, in, in both height and depth and just become more spiritual as we all grow in Christ. Listen, as we do that, folks, the, the target on our individual backs and our collective back just gets bigger. Just gets bigger. Need to be cautious. Need to be diligent. We need to be careful about what's behind that tree over there, what's behind that bush over there, and what lays in the darkness over there. Because Satan is waiting there to destroy our lives in every way he possibly can. I don't want you to leave here freaked out and scared, okay? But I want us to have a balanced view of this, a clear understanding that that spiritual battle is going on all around us. But we have the opportunity to be on the winning side if we give our lives to Jesus and we do what he says. The moment we begin to do something different, it's like walking towards that tree. Oh, Satan's behind there. He's waiting to devour me. He's waiting to eat my lunch. But I think I know best, God. Dangerous thing. Dangerous thing. Let's be cautious. And by the way, in that last passage, Paul says to pray to pray for yourselves and to pray for me also. Pray for others. Part of being in a body of Christ like this is to not only watch out for ourselves, but to watch out for each other. To watch out for each other. Listen, it, it doesn't mean that everybody's standing in judgment of everybody else. What it does mean is if I see my brother starting to wander over to that tree, I'm going to go lovingly grab him and go, dude, don't go towards the tree. I love you. I care about you. I don't want you to messing up your life. Stop going towards the tree. Because right behind there is Satan waiting to devour your lunch. And I want to protect you from that. Not judge you. Not criticize you. But to love you enough to keep you from going back there. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the wonderful guidance that it gives us. Father, we are thankful, so thankful, that we have more and greater truth than our own understanding in our own minds. Father, help us as individuals and as a church to, to pay attention, to be sober-minded, focused on the spiritual battle that is around us, not being obsessed with it or being goofy, but being diligent, uh, being, being thoughtful about it, Father, help us as individuals to withstand uh, the schemes of the devil. Help us as believers to love our neighbors and keep them from giving into those schemes. Father, help us to trust you. 
Help us to have our faith and our trust in you and your plan for us. Help us to just be faithful at obeying you and living for you and doing what you say, knowing that it's in our best interest to do so. Lord, as you uh, use us as individuals and you use our church in a greater way to influence our community, Father, I pray as that target gets bigger, you will protect us and you will help us to just trust you enough to keep us protected. Father, we love you. We are so thankful to be on the winning side because Jesus won our eternities at the cross. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.